CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Let me tell you about voting by mail. It's pretty cool. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote by mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote by mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit VoteMailChicago.com. That's VoteMailChicago.com for call scripts and a petition. One more time. Vote. V-O-T-E. Mail. M-A-I-L. Chicago. C-H-I-C-H-E-O. Dot com to make sure that every voter in Cook County has safe and equitable polling. That's correct. Discover more about our wondrous, world-class city at the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Plan your staycation exploring two floors of awe-inspiring exhibits, from our interactive city models to skyscrapers that change the world, and learn about the fascinating stories behind the fabulous facades. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Ben, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Excellent. We're all good. All right. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, August 4th is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank the following unions for sponsoring this podcast. Unions like the Internet, the Illinois, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 are sponsors, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Ben Jarofsky, you have a song of the day request, my friend. Uh-oh. Okay, go ahead. Don't say uh-oh. uh-oh. It's, you'll know the song. They always look out oh, for okay. you. Your song. Oh, the 60s song. It must be a 60s it song. It always is. I'm waiting one day to get current in 2020 on a podcast. All right. Your song of the day request comes from our good friend Frank. It's Devil in the Blue Dress. 
Ooh, Mitch Ryder. Devil in a blue dress, blue dress, blue dress. Devil in a blue dress. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, August 4th, and live from my apartment in Ben's attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it is the co-host of Seton and Buchanan on WVON, Atiba Buchanan. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here calling this Trump is Crazy Tuesday. And here's why. Yeah, good weekend. You have a good weekend, D? That was good. I mean, it was a few days ago, but it was good. Yeah, I did it. (laughs) We've been using this bit for a long time. Why discontinue a good bit when you got it? Uh, I had a very slow weekend, didn't do much of anything, watched TV, read books, read newspapers, went for walks, nothing big. Uh, Wrote a column, scathing column up against Bill Clinton, of all people. I'll probably ask a TBB candidate about that. I am just not feeling Bill Clinton. But anyway, woke up this morning. And I decided I would do something I had never done before. I said to myself, I want to see what's trending on Twitter. And Dia, I don't know what possessed me to do that. I, I don't yeah, know me where either. it came from. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I just thought, you know, if you're going to have a podcast in the 21st century, as you were just saying, it might be a good idea to be hooked in to like the 21st century. Yeah, I don't think podcasts were around before the 21st century. So that would be good. So, you know, I just said, you know, you might as well. So I just looked and that's how I discovered uh, that Donald Trump had done an interview last night on Axios, HBO show with Jonathan Swan. I want to give uh, Jonathan Swan a lot of credit. It was an outstanding interview. I ended up watching all 37 minutes of it. Uh, and it's 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 appropriate because uh, Atiba Buchanan, who will be coming on, political chunky Atiba Buchanan will be coming on in a little while. That was on his mind uh, when I talked to him this morning. He was like, did you see Trump's interview? And I said, of course. So uh, here's the thing about uh, Donald Trump. Uh, it's We've gotten so used uh, to Trump saying absolutely crazy things that I think we've lost sense of just how crazy some of the things that Donald uh, Trump says really are. And I know I'm guilty of this. I know I'm guilty. I'm just so used to Donald Trump. It's the, the insane has been normalized over the last few years that I sometimes it just, it, it just, it's like words that go in one ear out the other. It doesn't register, but uh, this morning it did. It registered. And so uh, Jonathan Swan was asking Donald Trump about John Lewis. And John Lewis, of course, is a civil rights icon uh, who uh, was a congressman from Atlanta, died last week. His funeral was, uh, I think it was on Friday. Uh, Bill Clinton spoke at the funeral. Uh, Barack Obama spoke at the funeral. George Bush spoke at the funeral. It was Clinton's speech at the funeral that really set me off. It was Thursday. Thursday, thank you. Uh, and um, But I'm not going to talk about Bill Clinton at the moment. I'm talking about Donald Trump. Donald Trump did not attend the funeral. I don't believe he sent anybody, like an official representative. I thought Mike Pence was going, but I didn't see Pence. So, Frank, maybe I'll weigh in on that one. Frank, let me know. Was Pence there? I thought they said Pence was going to go, but I didn't see Pence there. I know Pence didn't speak. Anyway, 
Donald Trump essentially gave a cold shoulder uh, to John Lewis. And uh, who is, as I said, a hero in our country. At least he's supposed to be a hero in our country because we're supposed to, as a country, recognize that we have an evil legacy called slavery, which led to Jim Crow, which led to segregation, which uh, is an evil legacy that we've combating all these years. And so as a country, we're supposed to believe that the fight to end racism in our country is a very important struggle that we should all be uh, participating in. And John Lewis is clearly a hero in that struggle. So whether you like John Lewis's politics or not, and personally, he was much to the center from where I was. So whether you like him or not, you have to respect him for the courage that he displayed back in the early 1960s when he was a freedom rider, when he marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and got hit in the head by Alabama state troopers, and when he stood by uh, Dr. Martin Luther King in his speech, uh, I have a dream speech in Washington in 1963. You have to respect him if you're just even gonna pretend that you care about eradicating uh, the terrible legacy from uh, slavery. So Donald Trump has asked this question. Uh, what's he thought of his thoughts on John Lewis? And immediately, immediately, uh, Donald Trump turns it into a personal thing where he says that uh, it's it's all about Donald Trump. Essentially, he John Lewis did not attend his inauguration. So he's upset about John Lewis not attending his inauguration. So the whole issue of whether he respects John Lewis and what John Lewis's role and the legacy of trying to fight slavery and fight Jim Crow, et cetera, and segregation and promote integration, all the things we supposedly believe in, doesn't matter. All that matters is that John Lewis did not attend his inauguration. Uh, and then he said something uh, when, uh, in the process of following up. He said, again, Nobody has done more for black Americans than I have. He should have come. I think he made a big mistake. This is what Donald Trump said. And at first it didn't hit me. But then after a while, I'm like, wait a minute. Did he just say what I thought he said? And I stopped and I went back and listened. Nobody has done more for black Americans than I have. Yes, he said that. And it was just like one of those things that Donald Trump clings to. I know it's a talking point that he uh, tries to make all the time, that he's trying to establish uh, credibility with black voters. He has no credibility with black voters. Polls show that black voters will probably go well over 90 percent for Joe Biden. I predict uh, that it will be closer to 98 or 99 percent when all is said and done. So I, I, I think the polls actually show Donald Trump with a higher favorability rating from black voters than he actually has. But put that aside. Either way, it's going to be overwhelming. And so in his desire to show that everybody is wrong and he is right, he's constantly saying that he's done more for black people than, any, uh, than Barack Obama or any previous president. But this moment, while reaching for his talking point, he reached a little far and he says, nobody has done more for black Americans than I have. And I'm like, wow, in the whole history of America, nobody. And right there and then, I just started writing down names, randomly writing down names. This is like, I don't know, some ungodly uh, hour of the morning, probably like 10, 10 a.m. or something. I started writing down random names that popped into my mind. It was like a, a mind game, a mental game. First name that popped into my mind, Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist, the great writer, thinker, orator, 
Frederick Douglass at the top of the list, a former slave, by the way. Harriet Tubman, another former slave. He's done more for black people in this country than Harriet Tubman. Then I say, well, not just stick with John Brown popped into my mind. The abolitionist who like led an insurrection against slavery, lost his life for that cause. He, I would argue that John Brown has done more. Abraham Lincoln, W.E.B. Du Bois. These are just names that are popping off of my head. Booker T. Washington, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks. And I started going down sports. Jackie Robinson, Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, Ernie Banks. I'm going to throw Ernie Banks, Mr. Cub in there. He's done more for black Americans than Donald Trump. For that matter, Branch Rickey. He was the guy who signed Jackie Robinson. Arguably, he's done more for black Americans. Than then I thought, well, presidents, Harry Truman, even old Harry Truman. I mean, he integrated the uh, the armed forces. Obviously, he did more than Donald Trump. Dwight Eisenhower, he sent in troops to enforce integration order versus Brown uh, in Arkansas to enforce the Brown versus Board integration, school integration uh, ruling. And then I thought, oh, my God, Thurgood Marshall. John Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, James Baldwin, Tony Morris. I just started writing these names on the local level. Harold Washington, Ralph Metcalf, Leon Dupre, Al Raby. Even crazy James Bevel, which is a whole story I could talk about forever. A civil rights leader, uh, the aide to Martin Luther King, lost his mind before I was all said. James Bevel clearly has done more. Stokely Carmichael, Fran Hampton, Malcolm X, and on and on and on. I mean, I filled up literally, it was just like this exercise I did, just from just concentrating on what Donald Trump had said for once, instead of letting it just go in one ear and out the other. And it's like, kind of reminded me of this moment uh, back in 1992 when Mike Ditka, former coach of the Bears, mini obsession of mine, Mike Ditka, talked about him last week. Mike Ditka, uh, who is far right in his politics and was always encouraged to express his opinion. I always found this interesting that when Mike Ditka was coach of the Bears, when Mike Ditka, even after he left being coach of the Bears and he was a pitch man, no one discouraged Mike Ditka from speaking his mind. He was outrageous on the right. I can't think of anybody on the left who had access to a microphone the way Mike Ditka did. Mike Ditka could say some outrageous right-wing stuff. People would laugh, go, oh, that's just a coach. He kept all his commercials. He kept his restaurant. Everybody loves Mike Ditka in the city of Chicago except for a few left and anybody who's honest about his coaching record, he was not that great a coach, but put that aside. Mike Ditka once said, uh, this was in 1992, he'd actually uh, was, I think he was had shown up uh, to endorse Rich Williamson for Senate against Carol Mosley Braun. God, only I would remember these things. The year was 1992. George Bush was running for re-election against Bill Clinton. And Mike Ditka said something that if Bill Clinton's election, uh, Bill Clinton is victorious. It'll be the biggest step backward this country would take uh, in 200 years of existence. I remember when he said that. Uh, my old friend Mike and I got on the phone. We were having a conversation. We just started randomly listing all the other things that could be on the list that uh, ahead of Bill Clinton's uh, victory in terms, even if you're a right winger, we went like, you know, uh, worse than the Civil War, worse than slavery, worse than the Great Depression, worse than Pearl Harbor, riots, the assassination of King, the Vietnam War, etc., and so forth. Here's the thing, folks. Right-wingers complain about cancel culture, and they complain that they can't speak their mind, but in reality, they've been allowed to say any old thing for so long that they've gotten used to saying 
any old thing, no matter how crazy it is. We've got a great show today, everybody, at TBB Cannon. Uh, we're going to break down uh, the Trump interview. We have a lot of fun with it. Uh, D's got all locked up and ready to go. Uh, some great clips uh, from Donald Trump's. So, yeah, you know, hey, man, he's the president of the United States. you got to take seriously what he says. So we'll play a few of those, analyze those. And uh, on Tiba's mind is the post office. He's, you know, um, he, he has a theory, which he's probably not alone, uh, that one of the... Uh, Maybe what Trump's up to uh, is sort of uh, starving the post office of the funds it needs to operate uh, and uh, to undermine the whole effort to vote by mail. So get his thoughts on on that. If he would be can, of course, uh, WVON uh, talk show host and a political junkie of the highest accord. So Atiba will be here. But before we get to uh, the national talk conversation with Atiba, uh, the man from home, the man they call Dr. Doobie with the news. Hey guys, what's going on? Nobody calls me that. Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. And we begin with the governor. And make no mistake, our Democratic Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker, is a hustler, all right? Today, he was at the Southern Illinois University of Carbondale for a 10.30 a.m. briefing to discuss the COVID-19 response in Jackson County. I actually have a bit of audio from that this morning. Take it away, J.B. It's worse than in Chicago. And I'll be frank, if we don't see some change here, the virus will cause some businesses to close and an increasing percentage of people to get sick, and some will even die. Southern Illinois and Metro East are both seeing troubling trends, with seven-day rolling positivity rates of 7.4% and 7.3%, respectively. These are the highest in the state of Illinois. We are definitely going to have to bring uh, Dr. Pamela back uh, to the show, D. Probably I'm going to book her this week. She, of course, is our uh, uh, our expert comes on. She's been on several times uh, to, from the Metro East area. I believe she's in Alton and to talk about what's going on down there. But, yeah, we saw this coming for quite a while. Uh, we were in denial. We acted as though in the state of Illinois, the only area that could possibly get hit hard uh, by the virus was Chicago and Cook County. And now, of course, we're discovering that the virus does not care about where you live. Uh, a kid uh, infect people absolutely anywhere in the state. So I don't know. I don't know how J.B. Pritzker is going to enforce uh, any rules and regulations uh, down uh, southern Illinois because people are lined up against him. Uh, after what, what's been four or five months of opposition to what he's tried to do already. This is going to be a tough fight ahead of him. Well, more on that uh, in moments here. And uh, by the way, Dr. Pamela, she is in the 618 area, but uh, not in Alton. She's in Glen Carbon, Illinois, Ben. I said corrected. <laughs> I used to work in Glen Carbon, but anyway. I, I, I think I knew that. All right, right now, JB, he's in Cairo, Illinois. He's at Cairo Junior Senior High School to tour a local food drive. Then at 2.30, he'll be at Magnolia Manor in Cairo to discuss development of a river port. And finally, at 3.15, he'll tour a river port. JB, we're begging you, please take care of that femur. You know what I mean, Ben? <laughs> Wait, does he still, he obviously is healed. He's out walking around and everything. Well, I'm telling you, just so. be careful. Last year at this time, you broke your femur. Anytime you get busy, just please just take it easy. Maybe put some ice on it just in case. Wait, uh, hold on. I just want a breaking news from Frank. Uh, Mike Pence wasn't at the funeral, but he did pay his respects when Lewis was laying in the state of U.S. Capitol. Thank you, Frank. I knew he wasn't at the funeral. Anyway, D, back to you. By the way, a river port is a place on a waterway with facilities for loading and unloading ships. 
for those who are wondering. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Pritzker gave a Q&A on Monday. The main topic at hand, masks. Face coverings. Oh, or I'm sorry, face coverings, as he calls them. On Monday, J.B. Pritzker unveiled his latest public awareness campaign, a $5 million campaign designed to encourage those in Illinois who aren't covering their face up in public during the coronavirus pandemic to do so and put on a damn mask. And as we've learned from his gubernatorial run and his year and a half as governor, no J.B. Pritzker public awareness campaign is complete without a catchy Slogan. Masks have been mandatory in Illinois since May 1st, and we'll continue to need them until this pandemic is over. With our COVID-19 infection numbers heading in the wrong direction, especially in certain downstate counties and rural areas of the state, and with greater compliance needed to overcome this health emergency, Today, I am launching a new mask awareness campaign with a very straightforward tagline. It only works if you wear it. Yes, move over, click it or ticket. Here comes, <laughs> it only works if you wear it. Ben, your thoughts on this campaign? Uh, what was Lori's slogan? Didn't Remember, we, we Lori had one, I can't remember. Everybody's coming up with a slogan, like that's the ticket. You know what I'm saying? Oh. We needed that kit. Now I'm going to wear the mask. That's a catchy slogan. Well, <laughs> it only works. It's true, but I don't know if it's going to work. By the way, D, you're our, our roving correspondent. Uh, since I'm so afraid to leave the house, mm -hmm. uh, yes, you, you actually are. Uh, leave your house, go for bike rides. You went downstate. Uh, you get around. So you're the Ben Jarowski Show roving correspondent. This weekend, you roved. Uh, to Starve Rock, Illinois. Uh, Just the, the Stove Rock, uh, Starve Rock State Park in Oglesby, Illinois. I said corrected twice. So uh, how far from Chicago is that, more or less? It was like an hour and 40 minutes. South, correct? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so we had this discussion uh, briefly in our pre-show meeting, one of our famous pre-show meetings. Uh, I said, well, that was Southern Illinois. He goes, it's not really Southern Illinois. I go, you're, yeah, you're probably correct. It's south of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, so here you go. Lead up to this. Were people at the park wearing masks? I mean, it wasn't 100%, but uh, the majority. Uh, when we first went, it was early. It was like 8 in the morning, and there wasn't too many people there. Um, there was, you know, there were some without, some with, you know. Uh, but I remember one guy, actually, we were wearing our masks, and this one feller walked by, he didn't have a mask on. He goes, hey, don't worry, we're Rona free. We're Rona free, don't worry. <laughs> like, okay, so are we, dude. You know, like, is he going to say that to everybody with a mask on? <laughs> Rona. Uh, where was it? Oh, Rona, Georgia. That Remember that bit from last week? The, the, the kid in Georgia, uh, Rona only get, gets uh, liberals. That was his uh, student analysis. So in other words, uh, most people were complying. Were, were most people doing the Ben Jarofsky method, which... Uh, no, they were they were present. So no, yours is just stay at home and put your mask on. Well, no, I'm not really proud of this. Uh, Samina Mustafa gave me a hard time about this when I explained the Ben Jarowski. So when I go for my uh, walk, when I sneak out of the house, you know, le relatively late, so scared I'm going to see anybody. I have my mask, uh, but more often than not, I'm not wearing it because there's no one around. And then when I see somebody, I put it on. So was that what 
uh, most people were doing, would you say, D, like they're walking through the lovely, you know, path and looking at the trees and what have you. And then they see somebody come, then they put their mask on. Yeah. Or yeah. Do they have them on all the time. It, it was kind of like that. Yeah. When they'd have them off and then they'd see somebody come by and then put them on. I see. Okay. All right. The Ben Jarofsky method. I feel good. I feel like I, uh, I'm on to something there, but just so everybody knows, I owe JB, if you're listening and you know, he works. is, it, it only works. If it, by the way, speaking of JB listening, may I read the, take this moment D to read this letter? Yes. Uh, I, um, okay. I just want to say last week and Dennis, help me out on this. You know, my memory's not as good as yours. Last week, we somehow or other, a JB appearance at the Red Roof Inn uh, in the suburbs came up. Do you recall what that was all about? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think he was there to talk about a food pantry. And what did we say in regards to that appearance at the Red Roof Inn? Oh, I said uh, how JB, it's nothing like his big fancy buildings that he owns. But, you know, don't scoff at the Red Roof Inn, please. Oh, yeah, okay. What did, did I say anything? I can't Boy, the memory I... on you. Um, <laughs> no, you didn't. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, a listener, Elizabeth Austin, Elizabeth, give you a shout out. I uh, love every listener that we have uh, sent me an email and she said, quote, I was with JB at the Red Roof Inn event and he could not have been more lovelier or more gracious. He stayed for the full event, talking with the unhoused people who are staying at the hotel and then helping to hand out bags uh, and bags of food. So you and your little friend can kiss my beep. No, no, she didn't say that. Oh, last. I was going to say, wow. <laughs> no, but hey, she's much too nice. Elizabeth Austin, really nice person. She did not say that. Uh, just had a little fun with that. So, Elizabeth, thank you. I told you I was going to read uh, the email. She just wanted everybody to know how gracious JB was. We we may have made a little couple teasing jokes. I may have said something. I don't even remember what I said. But anyway, just that's our she's our roving correspondent covering J.B. Pritzker. And she said he could have been more gracious. All right, D, back to you. All right. Here's more from uh, J.B.'s uh, Q&A on Monday. Every day we do things that keep us safe, like buckling a seatbelt or putting on a bicycle helmet. A mask is no different. It only works if you wear it. Keeping it in your pocket or wearing it just around your neck doesn't work. Well, I can't argue with that one. In fact, uh, oh my goodness, my wife got into so many uh, uh, discussions with people at the local store. Like when they come in and they got the, the mask around their neck. And what, why aren't you wearing the mask? What good is it doing around the neck? And it's a valid point. Uh, like I said before, it is, it's a tough road right now in this country. A mask has become so politicized. And JB is, like I said, is. Illinois is basically two states in one. It's a blue state and it's a red state. And the, the blue portion of the state outnumbers the red portion of the state. So we have this illusion that Illinois is far more liberal or lefty or democratic than it actually is. And J.B. Pritzker, as the governor of the state of Illinois, you know, it's a little tougher. I keep saying this, what Lori Lightfoot has to put up in Chicago, which is essentially a blue city, you know, and people just already agree uh, with her on about, I would say, 80% of what she has to say about uh, COVID-19. It's a whole other challenge for uh, J.B. Pritzker as governor of the state of Illinois. He's dealing with the red portion of the state. And I suppose if he wanted to follow the Donald Trump model, he would just sort of give the middle finger to the side that doesn't agree with him. That's basically Donald Trump's uh, approach, uh, which is how he could say something as insane as uh, nobody's done more uh, for black people in America than I have. 
so JB, if you wanted to, could just uh, give the middle finger and just worry about the blue part of the state where he is uh, relatively popular and probably has enough votes to win re-election. But I think he's doing the right thing by drawing attention uh, to the rising rates of uh, the virus in the southern portion of the state. All right. So now that we have a plan to convince anyone under the age of 15 to put a mask on with his it only works if you wear it campaign. How do we get grown adults to put on a mask, especially the grown adults who love to defy Governor J.B. Pritzker at any and every turn? I'm looking at you, downstaters. During the governor's Q&A, he was asked about this. Uh, The other way to get results fines for not wearing face masks. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to end up doing, right? You can ticket people who drive 100 miles an hour um, every time they drive 100 miles an hour, I suppose. Um, But what I would say to those people is you're endangering the health and safety of your own family, of your neighbors, your friends, and everybody that lives in your community. And when it comes to the fines, he says he believes it's, quote, worthy of considering fines for people who do not comply with the state's mandate requiring masks in public to slow the spread of the deadly coronavirus. So, Ben, your personal opinion here, what do you think worked better here? This campaign with uh, online commercials and slogans or just hitting them in the wallet? Hitting them in the wallet. Hitting them in the wallet works best. I think we all know. Uh, We saw that with uh, red lights here in the city. The city of Chicago. Uh, Hitting them in the wallet works best. Now, Hitting him in the wallet will also, uh, as you know, incite quite a bit of, bit of opposition uh, to Pr- Pritzker. Our good friend Darren Bailey will, will be raising uh, holy hell if uh, they start hitting people in the wallet. There'll probably be lawsuits challenging his ability to hit people uh, in the, the wallet. Uh, and uh, the Republican Party it, throughout most of the state will rise up angry over this and will turn it into uh, an issue of liberty. Uh, somehow or other, this... And, and you know what, D, is the analogies are perfect when we've talked about this in the past, like seatbelts, you get fined if you don't wear your seatbelt. I don't know how that's not an infringement of liberty. You get fined if you don't wear a motorcycle helmet. Uh, I don't know how that's not an infringement of liberty. Uh, if you go on the airplane, as I said many times, you have to get scanned. They won't let you on unless you agree to be scanned that's far more intrusive and invasive uh than wearing forcing someone to wear a mask but this has become such a politicized issue uh, largely because it gets that all weaved together with the upcoming presidential campaign uh and so as we're going to see when we play those bits from donald trump donald trump has very uh, successfully in the minds of his supporters linked the virus to an attempt by Democrats to undercut his economy, his economy, everything's about him. Uh, And so there's just a large portion of Donald Trump lovers who refuse to take uh, the pandemic seriously because they think it's just an assault on Donald Trump and an effort by the Democrats to uh, win the election. And the reality is that Trump's horrific response uh, to the pandemic will probably lead to him getting ousted in fact, D, your good friend, David Axelrod, was talking about this the other day. I do uh, love him. He's my dear friend. We talked the other day. He's doing well. I know you were wondering. He's doing fine. He's getting really good at tennis. 
<laughs> yeah, he's a big tennis player. I love tennis. Uh, you know, I love the volley. Uh, anyway, David Axelrod, of course, uh, the uh, political strategist for Barack Obama and uh, Mayor Daley. I think he actually worked for Bill Clinton as well. Did an interview uh, with uh, Maureen Dowd, I think it was, I saw it. Uh, and he was opining that um, Donald Trump probably would have been uh, unbeatable. Uh, had he taken the pandemic seriously and had he been as aggressive, let's say, in promoting masks as uh, J.B. Pritzker is, uh, he thinks uh, Axelrod is saying that the country would have rallied to him. I disagree with David Axelrod on that point for some reason. First of all, I think Donald Trump is incapable. And we see that you can really see that in this interview, this Axios interview. He's incapable of playing that role. Uh, that's number one. And number two, there is just so much entrenched opposition to Donald Trump that I don't think it would have been a cakewalk, uh, even if somehow or other magically uh, Donald Trump could have turned himself into something that he is not. So anyway, that's uh, that's the situation. Uh, there will be. You ask me, will tickets work uh, uh, better than uh, a, lo- a logo or a PR campaign? I said yes. I think ticketing will work uh, better than uh, a PR campaign, but that will just amp up the resistance. The and then can you just imagine the, the situation where? Uh, Police chiefs in some communities say, no, I'm not going to write the ticket. I can see that coming. You know what I'm saying? Uh-uh, I don't believe in it. I've seen some police chiefs or uh, police officials throughout the country who say they think it's an infringement on the liberties and uh, or they think it's a waste of time or that triviality. Uh, they, I wish they had the same attitude about red light cameras in the city of Chicago. You know what I'm saying? Ah, that's, that's an infringement of liberty. It's a waste of time. We should be out solving real crimes. Go ahead. Drive through. Interesting if they had that same ad. We need that. Some. I'm not going to worry about parking meter. Uh, you know, infractions. Eh, go ahead. You want to stay an extra half hour? Knock yourself out. Be interesting if they had the same attitude about liberty uh, in the city of Chicago as they do downstate. Hey, David, I gotta go, buddy. I'm doing the show. Yeah, take, tell the kids I said hi. Oh, sorry. I was talking to David Axelrod, we're buddies. Did you get some tickets for a, a Bulls game? Oh or hell no! Yeah. He saves those for himself. We're not that good of friends. All right. Uh, shout out to the live stream chat before we go any further here. Brianna on the live stream chat says, "Hey, a good idea would be to use reverse psychology. Tell them that not wearing a mask makes you a Democrat." <laughs> I think that's pretty good. I actually think that. Would, oh, wait a minute. Uh, well, Trump kind of. Well, it sounds good. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wear a mask. It's worth uh, a shot. Trump tried that. It was. It was. I don't know. Uh, Brad, it was about a week ago. Remember, he said wearing a mask is patriotic. He's he's kind of dropped that theme. Uh, it was like a one shot. That was like. Oh my god! The pollsters they sit him down, Donnie. Donnie, focus. You're going to lose this election if you don't show that you're taking seriously the pandemic. You're not going to get those suburban swing voters. So you got to take. Okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm going to wear a mask at my next press conference. I'm I'm going to put I'm going to be seen wearing a mask. I'm going to tell some interviewer that wearing a mask is patriotic. And then it's like it lasts for 24 hours and he's back to. Donald Trump. So, you know, yeah, I I, uh, I don't know if he has the discipline to, to pull that off. All right. So masks was a big topic on uh, Monday's uh, press briefing with J.B. Pritzker. The other big topic, Madigan Gate. That's right. Mm. The time utility giants Commonwealth Edison admitted to arranging jobs, contracts and payoffs to Democratic Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan's associates. 
allegedly. Pritzker was asked about Madigan and his money. The following comes from the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard, Capital Facts' Rich Miller. The question posed to the governor, quote, Republicans are talking at a press conference today about campaign finances and Madigan. They're essentially saying that Democrats shouldn't take Madigan's campaign money. Do you plan on making a similar type of pledge? And do you plan on not giving campaign funds uh, to funds that Madigan controls? Here's J.B. Pritzker's answer. Yes, I will continue to not take money from others uh, for my campaign, um, and 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 I will support. Yeah, I will. I have, and I will. You can look and see. I've supported uh, candidates, uh, state senators, state house members, and others who are running, and I continue to do that. That's not something I intend to do. All right, thank you, and that was it. Wow, I uh, what was everybody laughing about? There was some some really funny going on in the back room of that uh, press conference. Man, Madigan Gate. I uh, oh, do you have any other Madigan updates? Because I'm about ready to uh, to just riff on this. Let her riff, buddy. Let her riff. Well, I spent uh, a good portion of the weekend talking to people about Madigan Gate, uh, reading about Madigan Gate. Fascinating column uh, by Rich Miller. Uh, Dennis already mentioned him. It was in the Sun-Times uh, on Sunday, and it was really uh, well done. Rich Miller, my hat is off to you. Because uh, the essential point that Rich Miller made is the one we talked about last week, but he really cemented it, and that is this. Michael Madigan is the most powerful state rep in the state of Illinois. He's the most, arguably the most powerful, I'd say he's at least second most powerful Democrat uh, in the state of Illinois behind J.B. Pritzker, Governor J.B. Pritzker. But for state reps, like he's the universe. In the world that they know, he runs that world. And so just because Commonwealth Edison has pled guilty to having attempted to bribe Madigan by putting his cronies on the payroll. Just because Commonwealth Edison is uh, willing to pay a $200 million fine for uh, having allegedly attempted to bribe. I don't even know if you, why I'm using the word allegedly. I've just been taught to use the word allegedly. They, what is irrefutable is that they pled guilty to this. So just because of that, and just because people like State Representative Kelly Cassidy was on the show Saturday, who comes from a very liberal uh, Northside Chicago district, where she's insulated from retribution from Madigan, just because she says Madigan should step down, and just because I think that Madigan should step down, and just because the Republican Party thinks that Madigan should step down, and the Chicago Tribune editorial board, et cetera, and so forth, doesn't mean a Democratic state rep is going to put his or her neck out until the feds have moved in and actually indicted Madigan because he's still the most powerful person in their universe. And the way I put it last week, for all you people out there who's saying, oh, those wimps, they should def they should step out and criticize Madigan. What I said last week still holds. Let me hear you step out and criticize your boss. Now, I know in the world of politics, a state rep uh, in from, I don't know, the suburban uh, Cook County or the city of Chicago or even downstate, wherever, 
should not consider the House Speaker his or her boss. In the perfect world, the ideal world, the boss of the state rep are the people who elect him. Yes, yes, I know that. I understand that in the abstract is how democracy works or is supposed to work. But in reality, in Springfield, in the General Assembly, Michael Madigan governs it all. And so if you're a state rep, you're dependent on Madigan for everything, for making, if you want staffers, budget, office, you want to get your bills introduced, you got to go through Michael Joseph Madigan. It's a reality. And Rich Miller pointed out that every, all these different constituencies in the Madigan caucus from uh, Democrats on the North side uh, to members of the black caucus uh, to uh, lefties, my beloved lefties, they all have their reason for staying loyal to Madigan at the moment because they don't want to jeopardize their stature in the state house by going against, oh, yeah. oh, Ben, you can say whatever you want. Oh, Kelly Cassidy, you can say whatever you want. Who cares what the Republicans say? They've been saying Madigan should leave for years. Biggest bunch of hypocrites in the world, by the way, but that's, I'll avoid that topic for the moment. So I, I understand, I guess, the mentality that folks have. Like they don't want to speak out because he's a very powerful man. And I also understand uh, the notion of loyalty. He's helped them in the past. I raised all these issues with Kelly Cassie when I talked to her on Friday, the issue of loyalty, the issue of his power, uh, the issue of possible retribution if you defy him. Uh, and appreciation. I have tremendous gratitude. I'm one of the people who has tremendous gratitude for Madigan uh, for the, the resistance he made to uh, Bruce Rauner in those four years of Rauner. Uh, but the reality is, until that indictment comes, he's the most powerful person in that state house, or in this, at least in the General Assembly. And the state reps uh, in Chicago are not going to rebel against him. I got a dear friend who will remain anonymous, uh, very critical of Michael Madigan. He's always sending me emails, texts, I should say, uh, with updates. But I think he's on the ropes. Like every time, like a state rep. <laughs> And some state rep, some random state rep from DuPage County will say, I think Madigan should step down. Heather Staines, uh, again, like Kelly Cassidy from a well-to-do, relatively well-to-do lakefront, liberal lakefront district, says, I think Madigan should step down. My friend said, hey, look, here's another one. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Well, that's like eight now. I don't know. I've lost track. Nine or ten. The overwhelming majority, uh-uh. Not until an indictment. And I remember with Ed Burke, D, I remember with Ed Burke, who was, in my opinion, far more corrupt than Michael Joseph Madigan uh, and far more damaging. Uh, I can't think of anything that Ed Burke did that was worthwhile. Michael Madigan led the resistance to Bruce Rauner, and I will always appreciate it for that. I'm just really trying to think of something Ed Burke did for the, the common good of people in the city. But be that as it may, he had such power that – uh, even after the feds had raided his office, there was a fundraiser for him and people lined up. They go, oh, that raid's not, he's still in power as far as we're concerned. And then of course, they, uh, there was the Danny Solis tapes that got leaked. There was the indictment and now nobody will go near him. Lori Lightfoot got elected to a large degree because she was able to just, uh, position herself as an opponent to Ed Burke and paint Tony Preckwinkle as a supporter of Ed Burke. So until that moment of indictment comes, though, Ed Burke, powerful man, people lined up to give him money. It's going to be the same thing with Michael Joseph Madigan. A guy like Pritzker, D, 
uh, as he's got to scramble a little bit and do his best to distance himself from Madigan because Madigan is clearly a liability in the state uh, of Illinois. And uh, but uh, Pritzker's different than most of those state reps who owe their jobs or uh, are very concerned to Madigan or are very concerned what he could do to them if they rebel. Illinois. Damn, we're shady. That's correct. (laughs) All right. Uh, And you were talking about Pritzker and Madigan here. We have a brand new political ad to play. It's one that I'm sure you're going to disagree with, Ben, because it's another ad from that Illinois group known as Illinois Rising Action. Uh, Like I said, we've played an ad from this group before. Um, What are Illinois Rising Action's politics? Well, this is pulled from the About Us section of Illinois Rising Action uh, and their website. It says here, Illinois Rising Action is an organization focused on holding liberal groups and their special interest networks accountable and advancing conservative principles. We're fighting for limited government lowering taxes, fighting government over regulation that stifles freedom, affordable and accessible health care, free enterprise, and a strong national security. Ben, you remember this group, right? Yes, affordable health care is on there? Yeah. And accessible. And accessible. (laughs) Yeah, okay, they just threw that on Illinois Rising Actions. It's one or the other, okay? Absolutely. You're fighting anybody who is trying to bring in affordable health care uh at the same time it's funny they probably did a focus group thing let's throw health care in there or maybe that's like a code word to conservative to be that they're against obamacare the world is as i said began the show saying is pretty crazy right now but of all the things to throw in the on the laundry list of who they are affordable health care come on illinois rising what is it illinois rising action angry Actually, come on, guys. Uh, If you want to be honest and upfront, take the health care thing off. There's not a conservative in America right now. Definitely not a Republican who's doing anything to promote health care for more people. Right now, the Republican Party is dedicated to eradicating Obamacare. Donald Trump has his lawyers in court fighting to kill Obamacare. So how can Illinois rising actions say they actually promote the principle of affordable health care? Wow. Right off the bat, D, I got some issues with Illinois Rising. And I haven't even heard their commercial. On to their latest ad here. Here's the press release. Illinois Rising Action launched a new television and digital ad calling for Governor Pritzker to take immediate action on ethics reforms. Amid the bribery investigations into Speaker Madigan and the ongoing investigation into Governor Pritzker's property tax scheme, We're still talking about that one. It has never been clearer that ethics reforms are needed. Uh, Let's see here. We have a quote from one Kayleen Carlson. When it comes to standing up against corruption, Governor Pritzker chooses political rhetoric over real action on much needed ethics reforms. Governor Pritzker continues to protect his political ally, Mike Madigan, by refusing to call for a special session to address ethics reforms, even as Madigan and Pritzker himself are under federal investigation. Uh, okay, so let's uh, hear the ad here. Uh, boy, a load of crap in three, two, <laughs> one. Bribery. Bribery. Bribery charges. It's a new low at the highest levels. Millions in bribes linked to Mike Madigan. Pritzker under investigation for tax fraud. 
it gets worse. Pritzker bankrolled Madigan's corrupt machine with millions, filling his government with Madigan cronies. No wonder Pritzker refuses to demand immediate reforms. Call Governor Pritzker. Tell him Illinois is not for sale. Support ethics reform now. Paid for by Illinois Rising Action. Yes, uh, Illinois is not for sale. That's their call, call line. This is a continuation of Bruce Rauner's campaign. And Bruce Groner, as I've said many times, settled on Michael Madigan as the most convenient target uh, to uh, sort of like use uh, to whip up Republican support, undercut the Democrats. Uh, Madigan has pretty much not resisted. We talked about this with the interview with the uh, we've talked about this with Madigan when we I interviewed the one time I ever got to interview him. Uh, and essentially Madigan's attitude is I don't care what they say about me. Uh, and so he does not fight back. J.B. Pritzker will fight back. Michael Madigan doesn't care. He knows that within again, within that General Assembly, he has the power. So he really doesn't care uh, what Illinois rising actions or Bruce Rauner says about him. Uh, he'll absorb the blows and uh that sort of, you know, deflects attention from his caucus members. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, so they're doubling down on it. And I think it's a strategy. When I when I take this uh, to the next uh, level, D, I start thinking about how this is going to impact, for instance, the fair tax uh, referendum that's on the ballot in November. That's a very uh, important uh, change that uh J.B. Pritzker has proposed to raise the rates, the highest rates uh, on the on the wealthiest people in the state of Illinois so that we move toward a more progressive form of taxation. And ultimately, I'm worried. Talked about this with Kelly Cassidy. I'm worried that uh, Illinois rising actions will and, and the Republican Party uh, who are trying to protect the interests of the wealthiest people in the state uh, will use Michael Madigan's notoriety, if you will. We'll use the federal investigation into Michael Madigan. We'll use Commonwealth Edison's plea uh, deal with the feds against Michael Madigan and use that ultimately against the fair tax. And I was having a conversation with another dear friend of mine who will remain an, uh, anonymous because he doesn't want people to know he talks to me. Uh, and we were trying to figure out, uh, you know. Um, doesn't well, want people to know that he talks to Ben. Boy, I bet you've been there a few times, huh? Yes, a few hundred times, I want to say, <laughs> in the city of Chicago, particularly during the daily years. <laughs> the daily years were rough on me, Dave, because, oh, my God, I'm going to tangent with a tangent. If you think people love Lori Lightfoot on the north side of Chicago right now, you should have been here in the 90s for Richard M. Daly. They worshipped Richard M. Daly. And uh, so to be against Richard M. Daly was like, what are you? You want the city to go back to chaos? You want council wars? You want crime? Somehow or other, if you're against you're against all the, you don't like trees? Because <laughs> Daly had this professor's love. One time I wrote a column that Daly Loves Trees was actually had this program uh, where they repaid the street that was killing trees. Oh my God, did the Daly people go nuts. They try to get me fired. Whatever. Yeah, Daly Loves Trees. History. Daily loves trees like Mark Brown loves Cricket Hill. Am I right? <laughs> yes. I don't know about that. I think Mark Brown loves Cricket Hill a little <laughs> more than Daily loves trees. Oh, oh, oh wow. Oh, Mark, wow. Mark Brown has never promoted a program that, like, damages Cricket Hill. Anyway, it's ancient history. All right. So we uh, just. Street paving program. We, so going back uh, to uh, uh, the uh, fair tax, just finish the thought. 
you got to figure whatever percentage of the vote Bruce Rauner got in the last election, I think it was around 38, 39% is what the opposition vote is for fair tax. And so to defeat it, they're going to hammer at Michael Madigan. They're going to link Michael Madigan to fair tax and all the powers that be uh, and lefty land or liberal land who want to change the way we do business in Illinois have to realize that in some ways, Michael Madding is much a liability as uh, is it positive. And uh, I don't know where we're heading with this, D, but until there's an indictment, I can tell you this. I don't see the uh, state reps revolting from Madigan. Wait, did you say Bruce Rauner? Yay for our teachers. Yay for our teachers. <laughs> Good times. All right, so we just heard that ad from Illinois Rising Action. Ben, on a one to five star scale, what do you give that ad from Illinois Rising Action? Uh, Five is outstanding. Wins the people over. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, And one is... Just awful. uh, Utterly worthless. Does not do what it says. Okay, what I'm about to say uh, will be misconstrued. I understand. Uh, it will be used, taken out of context, and used in an attack ad. And they'll say, even the lefty Ben Jarofsky says. <laughs> but but uh, I thought that was a effective piece of propaganda. They're linking. Oh, okay. They're, they're going back to what Rauner did, linking everything that the Dems do to Michael Madigan. Now, you're going to go, Ben, but it didn't work for Bruce Rauner. Good point, Dennis. That's an excellent point, and I'm glad you made that. How'd you know? You're an, astute, <laughs> you're an astute follower of politics in the state of Illinois, uh, to which I would say, yes, it did not help Bruce Rauner, but Bruce Rauner was so horrific, okay? He couldn't get 40% of the vote. This is different. You're taking the issue of raising taxes, which is, nope, there's just like people have just a knee-jerk reaction. Even if you tell them a million, million, this won't affect you. This will actually lower your taxes. Nope, I don't believe you. So uh, they're going back to Madigan as the boogeyman. And, oh, my God, Pritzker and that toilet. You know, J.B. Pritzker right now is going, why did I do that? Boy. With that freaking time. Oh, <laughs> Pritzker, you should have called me up. I'd have told you whatever you saved on those taxes by getting rid of that toilet, you have more than made up for. Yeah, I will having it used against you. I will say uh, he's been governor for about a year and a half, and that's still the one thing that uh, his uh, opponents kind of got on him. That's it, you know. That's it. No, I, I listen, Elizabeth Austin. I'm with you. I like JB Pritzker. I know if I said that downstate, they'd go Ben sucks, but I like him. I, I I like how he goes about his business. I think he shows empathy for people. Uh, I'm not surprised with your report that he stuck around at the Red Roof Inn. Uh, I've seen that the couple times that I've uh, interviewed him. So uh, he's got this ability, I think, to radiate just uh, empathy. He's got the ability to do what Donald John Trump couldn't do in a million years, that Bruce Rauner couldn't do, but that successful politicians can do. Richard M. Daley could do that. He, he just People felt like he cared about them. And uh, so Pritzker's one of those politicians who has that ability. The great Harold Washington uh, had that ability. And uh, so I appreciate that uh, in a leader. Uh, so you're right, D. The toilet gate is pretty much all they got against uh, Pritzker. And it didn't work in the election. 
Uh, and I'm not sure it would work on its own in a fair tax referendum, but toilet gate plus Madigan. Don't forget to get the fair tax passed. They got the Dems got to get 60%. So it's going to be tough going. By the way, how about a uh, rating on that ad? Huh? Please. Oh, I'm sorry. Ducked and dodged. That was a filibuster. Uh, I'm going to give that ad a rating of a for pure propaganda. A four. Wow. Wow. The highest rating I think you've given a uh, right leaning uh, ad. Yeah. Well, it was very I thought it was effective propaganda. I, I must say, oh, hold on. I could just hear it. Tea Party. Bendrovsky, the lefty, gives it a four. Oh, I just got that texty. Yep, there it is. Oh, man. Wait, Even I, the lefty gives it a four. People quit calling us and texting us. I got Axelrod over on my end. People reaching out to you on your end. Leave us alone, would you please? My goodness. Uh, all right, moving on to the city of Chicago. No public event scheduled for our Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. No, it's not. Uh, But, and I think I know why there's no public event scheduled for our Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, because someone has a birthday. That's right. Today is our Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's birthday. Uh, Born August 4th, 1962, making her how old, Ben? Come on, channel your inner Dan Biss. Oh, my God, 38, 58. That's correct. Nice work, buddy. (laughs) Wow. Hey, come on, Biss. Bring it, okay? Come on, DB, Danny Biss. Oh, Ben, that's What's the square root? Oh, you tell me there, DB. <laughs> yeah, Danny Biss knows his math, D. Very nice work. Very nice work. So, oh, come on, Ben. You two, live stream chat. Jay Marie, get on in here. Come on. Happy <laughs> birthday to... Oh, it's just me? Uh, yeah. Jay Marie, come on now. I know there's a lot, not, not a lot of love there, but show some love for Mayor Lori Life. By the way, no, not D, are you kidding? When you said that? The north side of Chicago erupted into a chorus of happy birthday. I can hear it coming through my window. They love Lori Lightfoot of the north side of Chicago. Oh, my God. Hey, look, the guys at the porta potty are singing it. The neighbors across the alley are singing it. Everybody loves Lori Lightfoot on the north side of Chicago. All right. Love her, so there you are, everybody. That's our local news here. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right now. And uh, remember, though, you can find us on social media. Oh, Jay Marie weighed in. Oh, wow. Obama and Lori have the same birthday. Yeah. Oh, it's Barack Obama's birthday as well. Wait, time out. Today's Barack Obama's birthday, too. Wait, let me. I'm looking it up right now. Is that true, uh, Jay Marie? Today's last Barack- week. I think it was. No, they're the same age. I think Barack Obama's birthday was last week. Oh, my goodness. All right. Dr. We'll be- D is looking it up as we speak. I'm watching him look it up. And he's really good at that interview. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm spelling things wrong. It's kind of a shit show. All right. Oh, no. Today's his birthday. Barack Obama's yeah. birthday today. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Sit corrected, Jay Marie. Sit corrected. Oh, okay. you said correct right. about I'm six wrong. times today, pal. <laughs> I know. It's been a rough day for me. <laughs> I gave Illinois Rising Action four. Can I take back a star, D? <laughs> I mean, that whole thing about, no, you know what? Hold on, time out. I'm taking back a star for that health care thing, okay? All right, but Ben, it has nothing to do with the commercial. Taking back a star. Fix that health care thing. Take the health care. What you should say, Illinois Rising Action, we are opposed to any kind of health care that would help people. All right, they put that on your uh, website. 
I could support you 100%. At least you're honest. I wouldn't support you, but it's like, well, at least they're honest. They're against health care for people. All right. Like I said here, uh, make sure to find us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email, Benny J Show at gmail.com. And guys, you can call us as well. That's right. We have a 708 number and 708 numbers are awesome. Isn't that right, Kyle? All right. You can find us at 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658. By the way, that's my Tom Hartman impression, I'm pretty sure. 708-658-4788. Leave us a voicemail. And if it, you know, has to do with, you know, what we do on the show, Illinois national politics, we'll more than likely play it. 708-658-4788. All right, people, don't go anywhere because when we come back, it's the return of our dear friend host of or co-host of Seton and Buchanan, the one, the only Atiba Buchanan. People, it's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment in Ben's attic. Don't go anywhere.
did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, August 4th is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and our dear friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Rediscover our fascinating city this summer on a walking tour from the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Our entertaining and expertly trained docents will guide you through the Chicago you've been longing to explore, from magnificent downtown architecture to awe-inspiring neighborhood gems. If it's worth seeing, we'll take you there. Get tickets at architecture.org forward slash tours. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Uh, we're waiting for our guest, Atiba Buchanan, to join us. And there he is. But before we get to Atiba, we want to remind everybody about our part two of today's program. Ben, who do we got coming up on the part two? Part two today, uh, Joshua Smizer de Leon will be a podcaster. will be coming on. We'll talk about the Goya boycott. We'll be talking about national politics, local politics, plenty of stuff uh, with Joshua at we'll start through the interview at 3 45 4 o'clock whenever we're done uploading today's show there's a team we buchanan and i see him it'll be available for download tonight at both chicago sun times and chicago reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast live streamers you gotta download it go do it all right, at TBB Cannon, the pride and joy of Proviso West High School uh, in uh, the suburbs is with me, and he's the co-host of the Buchanan Seton Show on WVON. Did I get the right order, Atiba? You did, but don't forget the Illinois media center. Uh, uh, the, the volume's a little low. I, can, I couldn't hear you. What'd you say, Atiba? said don't forget uh, i also graduated from illinois media center okay i must say i don't know i just saw you and i just uh, i don't know thought of western suburbs proviso west and uh, david seaton uh, his co-host they were uh, they've been high school friends they've known each other forever uh and yeah. the interesting thing about well atiba tell folks the time uh, and the place where they can uh, check out your show that you do with david Absolutely. So uh, the Buchanan and Seton show can be heard on Friday nights from nine until midnight uh, central time on WVON AM 1690, the talk of Chicago. 
And uh, on Friday, uh, Atiba and David had uh, an old friend of our show, uh, Tommy Tresser, on talking about TIFFs. Uh, so it's it's good to know uh, that TIFF discussion is occurring. Any light we could shed on the TIFF scam uh, in the in the Chicago? It's a really bad in Chicago. Uh, I appreciate. Although I just saw an article in the paper. I just have to say this. This is a tangent within a tangent, Atiba. Uh, there was an article in the here it is in today's Chicago Tribune. I saw this and I just had to sort of shake my head uh, in resignation. I've been writing about tiffs and the scam of tiffs forever. And, uh, but it's really hard to penetrate because it's a, con- the, the program itself can easily be lost in the weeds once you go into an explanation. Uh, so they're talking about the Purple Hyatt site, which for folks who know the North side or know Lincolnwood is, uh, the old Purple Hyatt hotel was on the corner of what is it, Devon or Tui and the Lincoln. Anyway, it's vacant. Uh, and, uh, the city of Lincoln passed, approved it. Uh, a TIF uh, in 2019 to fund development. Here's what the Tribune said. After years passed, a new era appeared on its way in 2019 after the village approved a tax incentive, a tax incentive for developers called a tax increments financing district. When he wrote that, a tax incentive for developers called a TIF, like nobody ever heard of it before. You know what I'm saying? It's like saying a tax that they impose once a year called a property tax. Like, oh, I never heard of a property. So the underlying assumption is, who's heard of a TIF? Uh, Tiba, I just took my head and banged it against the wall. Uh, Another 20 years of reporting I got to do. And what publication was this? That was in the Tribune. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Chicago Tribune. Thus, ah. thus, thus you're at the Sun-Times. Yes. <laughs> I know the Sun-Times were not right. I mean, a program called Tiff Who? Right, yeah, I've right. never heard of it. Uh, all right, so Atiba and I uh, had the same thought uh, this morning that when we woke up. Uh, we as have, we often do. Yes, as we often do. Uh, Donald Trump's interview on Axios. Atiba, uh, why don't you just give a little background uh, on what went down, Donald Trump's interview, oh, and how incredible it was on many levels? Yeah, I, I, thank you for the question. I, I actually need to get kind of get this off my chest. <laughs> so with that said, it was a 45-minute No, I think it was 37 minutes. It was a 37-minute interview. And I forget the the, the, uh, the reporter's name was from Axios. I forget his name. Swan. He, Swan, correct. He, he clearly is not American, right? British. So he's, yeah, he's yeah. he's British. So nothing, nothing against that. I'm just I'm just giving that as a backdrop. So if you if you see the interview, which you can find on YouTube uh, pretty readily, uh, you'll you'll hear his very strong accent. But he did a phenomenal job of holding of, of doing the best you can to holding the president to task. It's almost like trying to hold on to an eel while your hands are soaked in baby oil. And the, the president uh, tried his best to not answer questions, to deflect, uh, to go to all of his pet moves. But the, no matter who you are, Republican, Democrat, the takeaway from this interview was not that it was the fake news trying to get him. The, the major takeaway was is that we, we have someone who is in leadership who clearly is not up to the task who clearly cannot uh, evaluate the problems of the country beyond his own individual political lens and uh, who clearly is way, way out of his depth. And so it was it was a very revealing conversation. Um, and I, I enjoyed seeing the president having to squirm a bit as close as you'll ever get him to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that he consented to do it. Uh, and 
Uh, before we get further, I'll say, I don't know what impact this interview will have. I suppose the people who already don't uh, appreciate Donald Trump, to put it mildly, will uh, have it as an affirmation of their opinions. And people who love uh, the president have already indicated uh, that they would walk off a cliff for him. So they don't care. Uh, but I do believe it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, a wake up reality moment for America uh, to listen to our president. So, D, why don't we start? I've got three different selections uh, that I'd like to play from the interview, and then we'll get Atiba's uh, thoughts on them. The first one, uh, play that one, D. All right. This one is involving uh, coronavirus, correct? Correct. Okay. Take a look at some of these charts. I'd love to. We're going to look. Let's look. And if you look at death, yeah. Started to go up again. Well, right here, the United States is lowest in numerous categories. Uh, We're lower than the world. Lower than the world? Lower than Europe. In what? In what? Take a look. Right here. Here's case death. Oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the U.S. is really bad. Well, well, Much worse than South Korea, Germany, etc. You can't. You can't do that. You have Why to go. Can't I do that? You have to go by. You have to go by where. Look, here is the United States. You have to go by the cases. The cases. Why are not there. as a proportion when of population? When you have somebody, what it says is when you have somebody that yeah. has where there's a case. Oh, okay. The people that live sure. from oh. those cases. It's surely a relevant statistic to say if the U.S. has X population and X percentage of death of that population no, versus South Korea. No, because you have to go by the cases. Well, look at South Korea, if, for example. 51 million population, 300 deaths. It's like, it's you, crazy you compared to know that. I do. It's you on, don't know it's, that. You think they're faking their statistics, uh, South Korea? I, an I won't get into country? that because they have a very good relationship yeah. with the country. But you don't know that. And they have spikes. That was almost like curb your enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Atiba, do a little analysis for us on that uh, excerpt. Okay, so in a lighthearted way, as I hear the beginning of it, he's like, "Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing deaths as it pertains to cases," and the and the in the interview was like, "Well, no, I'm doing deaths as it pertains to deaths." Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, and that's what it's that that whole conversation mirrors exactly what same people deal with every time they talk to a Trump supporter, right? They 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 bring up things that aren't relevant. They try and frame the conversation in a way that's that's not uh, relevant or germane. And then you find yourself trying to just just trying to get them to agree to the framing is a challenge in and of itself. So I, I, it reminds me of a Facebook post I saw the other day, a gentleman, and I, I can't recall his name, so it won't matter. I won't have to say it. But he was trying to support the president or the president's response to coronavirus by comparing the United States deaths and their populations to certain other countries to say that we're right basically to say that we're right in line with other countries so he compared us to i think it was italy and germany and it was one other but the other country no coincidence was another majority european white country and so after he made his point i asked him i said hey that's great because he had like dozens of comments of Trump supporters supporting him saying, yeah, that's right. Those liberals don't get it. It's it's not as bad as it seems. I said, okay, do me a favor. Now do China, South Korea, and India. And he wouldn't do it because India, while they do have 55,000 deaths, India has 1.3 billion people. 
it has like four and a half times the population of the United States. And they had they have nowhere near cracked a hundred thousand deaths. So again, and, and and he just mentioned South Korea as well. The only so this type of rhetoric between Trump and his supporters is part of is a lot of the reason why we are where we are because our leadership does not take it seriously. South Korea doesn't do anything differently than we do. They don't have anything any more means available to them than we have. They just take it differently because their leadership is always taking it seriously. So it, it is just that that whole conversation is, is just what it's like for the rest of us to talk to a Trump supporter. And again, I, I commend uh, Mr. Swan for handling it as well as he did. Yeah. And you can't see it because uh, we're uh, all audio these days. But uh, the recording, uh, the exchange shows Trump with uh, some paper, which is right. are the which obviously are the talking points that they gave him. So it's kind of unusual uh, in that regard to see a politician being interviewed. Usually they just absorb what they're given uh, and then just rattle it off. Whether it's accurate or not, that's how they right. go. Like, and they go, whoa, that's impressive. Uh, no, Trump has, look, here's the paper. So all he's doing is showing up his sheets of paper that... That he doesn't understand. Yeah. <laughs> That he himself doesn't understand. He just he was just told if this comes up, pass him these papers. Yeah, like and again, I give Swan credit because just think about the stakes. You're he's interviewing Donald Trump, the president of the United States. He's a young guy. I don't know how old he is, but he looks right. young. Whatever. Uh, and uh, you know, it's the the most powerful man in America, arguably the most powerful man in the world, uh, is telling you, no, 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 you have it all wrong. And here, here's my proof. And while the cameras are rolling, Atiba, I got to give this kid a lot of credit. I don't know if I would have had the wherewithal to do that. He absorbs right there and then the uh, the information that Trump has given him. And then he goes, oh, no, this is death per uh, cases. I'm talking about death per people. You know, that's the real relevant uh, issue. And Donald Trump is like, huh? It catches him off guard. Uh right. So I give uh, Jonathan Swan credit, but what something else struck me, and I think a lot of other people uh, uh, start, uh, thought of this as well. TV, get your reaction. The lack of just empathy, yeah, that Donald Trump expresses, uh, I find this kind of depressing. Actually, uh, you know, it's all about immediately repositioning uh, the numbers so that he looks better, as opposed to. The, dealing with the consequences of people's lives. Go ahead. Sure. I was, I was just going to, I was going to say juxtapose, but it really isn't a juxtapos- juxtaposition. It's really more a comparison. Um, do you remember when the hurricane hit Puerto Rico? Yes. Do you remember his response to them? He yeah. literally was throwing paper towel at a country in response to a hurricane. So this is, we, we know, again, we have to go back to Maya Angelou. When someone tells you who they are, shows you who they are, believe them. He showed us two years ago what, what his what his empathy levels were like. Uh, he showed us what his empathy levels were like when he locked kids in cages. This is all, uh, again, par for the course for a person who, who has the type of uh, personality defect that he has and, and a person who, again, that, that main personality defect is narcissism. He can only view any event through the lens of how it of how it affects him personally, how it makes him look personally. Beyond that, he's incapable of showing any real empathy 
or sympathy, even in the cases where he really feels like someone has been wronged, where you talk about a Roger Stone or a Michael Flynn, he doesn't have any real sympathy for those people. He, his his main motivating factor in even trying to show sympathy or empathy towards them is again how how their convictions would make him look personally and expose him personally, and th- and that's again that that's that's a very consistent character trait with this president. Well, we're going to hear that on full display in our next uh, excerpt. But before we, uh, I asked Dennis to play that. Uh, while you were talking, I was thinking about the death of Herman Cain and how Republicans have reacted to it. And uh, Herman Cain, I know you probably talked about this on your show. Have you guys talked about the death of Herman Cain on your show at all? We did, we did not. Oh, okay. Well, Herman Cain uh, was a Trump supporter. Oh, no, no, I'm fully aware, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I'm just doing it for our listener. I'm, yeah. I actually, our listeners are political junkies. They, they know who Herman Cain is. Uh, these old newspaper habits are hard to break, but we always yeah, identify yeah. everything. But uh, Herman Cain died uh, of uh, coronavirus about a week or so ago. About And he, he got it about two weeks after he, he showed up at Trump's rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, without a mask, sitting with his friends, other Trump supporters, uh, and put, they put that image out. So they allowed themselves to be used as part of this Republican uh, PR campaign strategy to sort of undercut the notion that this was a serious pandemic and that we should take precautions to essentially send out the message that uh, masks are important. And then um, as uh, he dies, okay. He was 75 years old. He wasn't in great health uh, at Tiba anyway, but he died clearly. He was, because he got the virus, because he put himself in a position where he could get the virus, because he just gave a middle finger to the notion of wearing a mask. And then Republicans' reaction is to Democrats, don't politicize this death. That would be unseemly, okay? And it, I'm like, why aren't you raising attention to it it would it totally undercuts everything you've been saying about the pandemic all your efforts to minimize it all your efforts to undercut the need for masks have been undercut by the death of your comrade your brother your support they they don't even have empathy for their own comrades not at all because again you have once you have to put it through the lens of what does his what does his death make trump look like and we all know that that death makes Trump look look bad, so we cannot talk about that. Uh, that's what that's what Republicans are thinking. Don't forget one detail, one major detail about the, his death. And, and the backdrop of all that, how he put himself in harm's way for this president. Don't forget, he signed a non-disclosure agreement too, as did everyone at that rally. So yeah, you're going to come to this. You're going to come to this rally. You're going to catch this disease, and if you die from it or get sick from it, you can't sue me. Yeah, and, and uh, they and they were dumb enough to do it. Yeah, he signed a waiver. Uh, you're right. Yes, absolutely. Yes, uh, waiving his right to or his family's right to sue. Uh, they'll, they'll go. I mean, Herman Cain. They go beyond that. His right. spokesperson. Well, when Herman Cain, when it came, the news broke that Herman Cain. Uh, had the virus and was in a hospital. They said, "Well, we don't know where he. he didn't, we don't know that he got it in Tulsa. Right. Now, look, wait, he could have got it anywhere because he hasn't been wearing a mask. He hasn't been social distancing, so he could have got it anywhere. Well, anyway, you look at it, you're on. And here's and I and I, I'm not laughing at him. I'm just laughing at the lunacy of the situation. Uh, I'm not laughing at his death, but 
um, I will say this: it is it is just uh, amazing to me. And this is a, this is the the crystallizing thing about COVID nineteen is that it doesn't care about our politics. The death is going to manifest itself, and you're going to have to deal with it. And that's why Donald Trump has had such a poor time dealing with this because it is impossible to politicize it. Because at the end of the day, no matter what you say, those deaths are smacking you in the face. Well put. All right, Dee, let's go to the second uh, recording. It has to do with John Lewis. John Lewis is lying in state in the U.S. Capitol. How do you think history will remember John Lewis? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know John Lewis. Uh, He chose not to come to my uh, uh, inauguration. Uh, He chose. uh, I I don't uh, I never met John Lewis, actually. I don't believe. Do you find him impressive? I can't say one way or the other. I find a lot of people impressive. I find many people not impressive, but no, but I didn't Did go. you find his story he impressive? Come, he didn't come to my inauguration. He didn't come to my State of the Union speeches, and that's okay, that's his right. And again, nobody has done more right. for but, but back black to the, Americans than I have. I understand. He should have come. But back, I think he made a big mistake. But, but, I think ta- he but taking come. your relationship with him out of it, do you find his story impressive, what he's done for this country? He was a person that devoted a lot of energy and a lot of heart to civil rights, but there were many others also. There's a petition to rename the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama as the John Lewis Bridge. Would you support that idea? I would, I would have no objection to it if yeah. they'd like to do it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Would have no objection to it whatsoever. Okay. All right, general thoughts at TV before we take a deeper dive. Um, my general thought is when he asked him uh, what, how would history look at John Lewis or how he remember him, he said he didn't know, not because he was saying he, he can't predict the future, but because he doesn't know anything about John Lewis. So what he's saying is, I'm really not even anywhere near qualified to answer that question because I don't know anything about him except that he wasn't at my inauguration. So to John Lewis's entire life, his entire career, all the stands that he took, all those courageous uh, and bold acts that he made, all the speeches that he gave, all the legislation that he supported, all the good work and effort that he did. And Donald Trump mind, it doesn't exist. All that matters is that John Lewis did not attend Donald Trump's inauguration. Which goes back to my earlier point. He can only view any event as to how it affects him personally or how it makes him look personally. So John Lewis's death can only be viewed through the lens of he wasn't at my inauguration. He didn't come to my State of the Union address. That's all I need to know about the guy. And that, that's my whole point. He, and, 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 and the uh, interviewer did a phenomenal job. Swan did a phenomenal job of saying to him, let's take your personal relationship about him out of it. What do you think of the man? And he was incapable of answering that question. He deflected to look i've done more for black people than because and that's why he went to that because he there was there was nothing there there's no depth he's completely shallow so he has to go he has to go to a different pool a different reservoir of other of pre-planned talking points because he has no depth of character it's it's actually stunning to watch because i that you know and i told you earlier that i've just i've never seen a person so you know, so in so many years of age that is that has lived so much life and, and such a privileged life, like a well-traveled life, to to be so vacuous, it is it is um, it is stunning to me that he's only developed as far as he has that he can only view things through how they affect him. I've I've never seen anything like it. 
Uh, your the point you made was an excellent one about uh, him shuffling talking points in his head, uh, trying to to find the one talking point uh, that he could use to sort of deflect the uh, the discussion away from John Lewis toward himself in a positive way. And in doing that, he said something. And I've already talked about this at length on the show, Atiba, but I want to get your thoughts on this. When I heard it this morning, it's like, at first I didn't believe it. So I, I, I actually stopped uh, the recording and went back and listened to it again. And he just said it. And I just had a laugh. Donald Trump said, nobody has done more for black Americans than I have. <laughs> and I, I'm like, he said it. Right. This man said it, and I just like I immediately wrote down just every name that I could think of who has yeah. done more for Black Americans than Donald Trump. Okay, starting with the first name that popped into my head was Frederick Douglass because he said nobody has done so. He go back all the way to the 19th century. Well, we don't. We can let's look at more recent history. Do you did you see the part of the interview where he was talking about how great the economy was under, for for black people under him? Yes. Right. He said they, they never had jobs like this. They never had money like this. So, and, and as I was hearing him say that, I was like, and I told my wife, I said, you know, the one president that probably could actually say something like that is Bill Clinton. Now he couldn't take full credit for it because Bill Clinton was the beneficiary of the dot-com boom, but the, the, the mid-90s up until really the housing crisis were very good financial times for all Americans and black people as well. There was, a, there was a strong black middle class during the uh, 80s and 90s. You had tons of black people working uh, good union jobs at either GM uh, or Ford or, or the, you know, the major automakers. You had tons of black folks that were able to step into the middle class through the post office, hint, hint. And, and we've seen all these, all these institutions attacked and belittled. Uh, you, you even had a bunch of, t- you even had a lot of black folks in the middle class because of the educational system, working, working as teachers, uh, working, uh, again, in schools, and even working for the state's uh, people that, again, have government jobs. So, again, all, all of the things that Republicans attack are a lot of the ways that, that black people have been able to find some modicum of financial relief in this country. So it's just stunning to hear him say that because, again, he's, he's, his, his economy was still nowhere near as good as Bill Clinton's economy uh, back in, you know, again, throughout the 90s. Uh, I'm going to with uh, I hear everything you're saying. Uh, my immediate temptation is to go uh, down a path about how I am through with Bill Clinton uh, after the John Lewis funeral. I, I just wrote a column about this, but I didn't tell you about this when we talked this morning. I am so through with Bill Clinton. I, th- I just what you talk about it's it, it's not to undercut the point you're making. I hear the point you're making. I just want to like me as a Democrat. I've been a Democrat my whole life. I voted for Bill Clinton twice. You know, but I am so through with Bill Clinton. I'm just not going to take the tangent. There were a couple of things he did in that speech. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I just wanted to make one other point about Trump and, and that interview and what he said about John Lewis at the end. And what he said, the last thing that he did, he actually all lives mattered John Lewis's civil rights work. And what I mean by that is he said, yeah, John Lewis did some great things with civil rights, mm-hmm. but there were others. Right. Do you recall him saying that? He yes. said, there were. So what he, 
Right. So that's that's saying all civil rights matters. I mean, all civil rights activist lives matters. What is what he just did in that sentence by saying he's not special in this moment right now because he's dead. We, let's talk about everybody else that did civil rights work. Why are we singling him out? So, again, it, he, I mean, he every stereotype, every trope, he fits right into it. It's it's. It's stunning again, just just how uh, how lockstep his supporters are in with his behavior. It's absolutely amazing. To me. No, he uh, absolutely. I know what he was. He was trivializing John Lewis's life, right? Uh, and he was trying. Uh, he he was trying to find a justification for not in any way praising John Lewis. Uh, for not in any way showing empathy for John Lewis's family or showing up for the funeral, which I, for all I know, John Lewis's family said, don't come to this funeral. Uh, I do not one, know that, but go ahead. And the one thing I wish the interviewer would have done in that moment when he said there were others, I wish he would have asked them to name two. <laughs> two. I got one. No, he could, right. name, he could name Martin Luther King. Right, no, he could name he, that. Name one whose name I, is not I, King. Yeah. Uh, habada, habada. Uh, right. uh, <laughs> yeah. No, King or Parks? I think Mo, I think Trump could name Rosa Parks. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't you know, know. I don't you know. know what? I don't know. You know what? I'm going uh, to avoid going into my diatribe against Bill Clinton for the moment because let's stay focused on it. But I may bring you back for a whole discussion uh, on my, yeah. Bill Clinton and his role in the Democratic Party and um, my my feeling that Dems really uh, have to uh, reconsider it, but it came, there was a moment in that speech he gave. I don't know if you listened to Bill Clinton's speech. There I did were, not catch his speech, but I'm, but I'd love There were three speeches, uh, presidential right. speeches, Barack Obama, George Bush, mm-hmm. and Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton yeah. just out of nowhere, just took a gratuitous swipe at Stokely Carmichael, uh, who was in his own right. He could have been a name that Donald Trump put out there right. in terms of courageous activists who put their lives on the line. Uh, in the fight for civil rights, and uh, it was just so unnecessary, and it just irritated me. I'm like, I am so through with Bill Clinton. All right, uh, let's uh, move on to the third uh, bit, which uh, has to do with Maxwell and Epstein, D. All over the country. Mr. President, the other day a reporter asked you about Ghislaine Maxwell. You said, quote, I just wish her well, frankly. I've met her numerous times over the years, especially since I lived in Palm Beach, but I wish her well, whatever it is. Mr. President, Ghislaine Maxwell has been arrested on allegations of child sex trafficking. Why would you wish such a well, person well? Well, I don't know that, but I do know that... She has. She's been arrested for that. Her you know that. friend or boyfriend... Epstein. ...was either killed or committed suicide in jail. She's now in jail. Uh-huh. Yeah, I wish you well. I'd wish you well. I'd wish a lot of people well. Good luck. Let them prove somebody was guilty. I mean, you, do you know that oh, she's Oh, so you're guilty? saying you hope she doesn't die in jail. Is that what you mean by wish her well? Her boyfriend died in jail, and people are still trying to figure out how did it happen? Was it suicide? Was he killed? And I do wish you well. I'm not looking for anything bad for her. I'm not looking bad for anybody. And they took that and I mean, she's a child, sex, alleged child sex trafficking. a big deal. But all it is is right. her boyfriend died... He died in jail. Was he killed? Was it suicide? I do. I wish her well. Um, let's move. All right, Tiba, general thoughts on that. The first thought is, and this is a juxtaposition, um, I'm thinking of the Central Park Five, and he, he couldn't utter that sentence for them even after they were exonerated. 
even after they were scientifically proven to have not have been able to commit that crime, he, he still could not not only not utter a sentence of well-wishing towards them, but indicated he still wanted them uh, to, to be executed. Uh, you know, he, he's beyond words. Yeah, and that that is an excellent point. And also, just in contrast to his attitude toward uh, John Lewis. Yeah. Which is, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say was, I mean, as I'm hearing him say, they're, they're still trying to figure out what happened to him. I thought immediately, you know full hell well what happened to him. <laughs> 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 Like, who is he? Who is he trying to fool? Who is he trying to throw off the scent here when he says that? He knows what happened to that guy, and no, he didn't commit. I hate to, you know, again, you know, follow the, the trends, but uh, he, uh, Epstein did not off himself. So, and and Trump is fully aware what uh, aware of what happened to to Epstein as well. So, again, um, we all know that. Uh, Epstein had connections to some of the most powerful people in the world, and there was no way that he was going to let those secrets spill. And I, I think that Miss Maxwell has serious should have serious concern for her life as well. As as we begin to see some of these depositions come out, uh, again they're going to have to go through some extreme measures to keep this woman alive because she she knows where all the bodies are buried, and it's and it's and it's going to hit way too close to home for Donald Trump. Well, that's. Uh... Uh, of course, you, I just want to say uh, Leonard Goodman will be coming on the show tomorrow to talk about uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, and Ghislaine Maxwell. He's sort of our, our show's resident expert sure. on all things Epstein. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Donald Trump uh, was a pal of Epstein. Uh, they ran in the same circles in the 90s and the early O's. Bill Clinton, that's part of the reason I'm through with Bill Clinton. Bill yeah. Clinton was a pal of Jeffrey Epstein. I've, I, I do not... I cannot, for the life of me, Atiba, understand how Bill Clinton would allow himself to pal around uh, with Jeffrey Epstein after what he put us through. Right. With, right. Uh, right. You know what? He, he put this country and through such yep. hell uh, with the Monica Lewinsky uh, affair, uh, got all the Democrats to sacrifice all their political capital to save his sorry little political B.I., Okay, probably brought down Al Gore's presidential campaign, probably brought down ultimately his wife's uh, presidential campaign. Yeah. And still the man has the arrogance to hang around with Epstein. And then he goes, well, I I, I, I didn't know about this stuff until I read about it in the paper. Come on, Atiba. Does he think we're stupid? And that's my point about Epstein is that, again, it's not a thing where it's a bunch of Republicans. He has the he has the goods on everybody, Republican, Democrat. It does not matter that a lot a lot of people hung out with this guy for all the wrong reasons, and uh, at, at some point, I think it's we're still going to come to light. When he says Donald Trump, when you hear Donald Trump say, "I wish her well," what do you what do you think? What message is he conveying? Oh man, it, I, I'm, I'm hearing a couple of things. I'm hearing, "Please don't narc." I'm hearing a message to her, yeah. saying, you know, saying, "Hey, if you can, if you can somehow get out of this without these secrets being spilled, I got you." That's the first message I hear, because you know, I don't know. I mean, she might go to federal prison, and then if she does, he can pardon her, right? Mm-hmm. 
And he could be very well right now laying the, his classic Donald Trump groundwork of she was treated unfairly. They were they were they were wrong to her. There's no reason for her to be treated that way. And he could again, uh, I could see him commuting her sentence or pardoning her or whatever or whatever in the future. So the first thing I hear is a dog whistle to her saying, hey, hang in there. Keep your mouth shut. And this can still end well for you. Uh, because, you know, if he if he wins a second term, um, you know, whatever she's going through uh, in the courts will have resolved itself by then. And he'll he'll be in a position to help her. Uh, so that's that's the first thing that I'm hearing. Uh, the next thing I'm hearing is, is that genuinely he doesn't care about sex, child sex trafficking. Again, let's not pretend that he that he wasn't accused of rape by a 13 year old that I think he met through Epstein. So. You know, again, we let's let's not pretend that, that you know Donald Trump isn't who he is. Uh, by the way, and also uh, there is a uh, lawsuit against Donald Trump making its way through the courts in New York. Uh, e. Jean Carroll, I talked about it many times on the show and written yeah. about it. She accused him of rape, and uh, he's fighting like hell uh, to squash that uh, lawsuit. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, he's he's doing two messages at once. Uh, and Atiba, if he gets away with this with his followers, and they really will follow him off a cliff. On one yeah. hand, uh, he says, I wish her well. And then on the other hand, he says, you know, her boyfriend, her boyfriend, a funny way to uh, phrase uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Anyway, her boyfriend died in jail, and we're still trying to figure out what happened here. And like, like as your point's very good one, as if as the president of the United States, he couldn't find out. Like he couldn't order right. an immediate investigation, right. hedge right. roll type of um, How dare you allow this prisoner to kill himself? And I want to know everything I can possibly know about it. He could order that tomorrow. So he's like, oh, yep. he's, he's like me. Wow, who knows? I mean, I'm just the president <laughs> of the United States. I don't know anything. Uh, but it also feeds the notion that, and this is very prevalent among Trump supporters, that Jeffrey Epstein's death was engineered somehow or other by forces on the left, Clintonian Democrats. So that is a, uh, that is a subterranean, not even that subterranean, because I get all the Tea Party emails. So I see the stuff they put out about Epstein. Whenever they can, they try to link Epstein's death to the left. And so Donald Trump is doing two things. He's like, I, by the way, we're still trying to figure out what's going on. Her boyfriend, her boyfriend is, and that's, he's feeding that notion that somehow or other, Jeffrey Epstein's death, it was caused by people who are trying to conceal information about Democrats, as opposed to people who might want to try to conceal information about him. Exactly. And, and from what I hear in the conspiracy world is that you know they they always make a connection to the visit bill barr gave to epstein while he was in prison and that he immediately tried to go see maxwell when she was first arrested and her lawyer prevented him from doing so so again it's you know that's the sad thing about epstein it's like you know once he dies it's like well who killed jeffrey epstein it's like it's like a board game (laughs) because it literally could have been anybody yeah 
Uh, and uh, well, let's hope uh, that we get to the bottom of this one. I don't know. Uh, a portion of America will not believe whatever the official story is. You get what yeah. I'm saying? Whatever the official story, it's like uh, the assassination of JFK. Yeah. There's just a portion of America will not believe that yeah. uh, for whatever reason. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next uh, my, uh, item that's on your mind. And uh, it has to do with our elections, our post office and the connection uh, thereof. Uh, what is that connection and uh, what is the danger, uh, Atiba? The danger is the president. I mean, my, my goodness. I mean, the reality is the post office for years has been a shining beacon of the government as it pertains to uh, their budgetary concerns, as it pertains to, um, again, their, their proficiency. If you remember, uh, Congress is the one years ago that that was that took money from the post office or made the made the post office self-fund itself for like a decade mm-hmm. throwing their you know again they, they were completely budgetary and they were completely solvent uh budgetarily and and congress threw them off and and was able to leverage money off of the post office the post office was in great shape before congressman and a republican-led congress by the way Mess them up. So let's not let, let's let's start there. That the post office is a great is one of the few great functioning government entities. It is also one of the only government entities protected by the Constitution. Actually, in the Constitution is the post office. So we ha- we have to start there. That's how serious this is. And right now we're dealing with a president who's trying to tell us now for some reason that the post office doesn't work, that it is inefficient. That that uh, these these are people that that it is inept and that they are not going to be able to handle mail, the thing that they've been doing for 200 years in this country. Hmm. For some reason, come November 2020, that's going to overwhelm them. Now, is there any evidence for that? I mean, is it possible? Sure, without the proper preparation. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. We've got what five months to get ready for it. I, th- I think, as you know, as as again, the the richest country in the world that's been doing this this experiment now for two hundred and fifty years. I would imagine we should be able to have the post office function with some degree of efficiency to do the function of the most important thing that separates us from every other country in the world, and that's our democracy. So again, I I don't know who he's fooling, but he's not fooling me. Well, I'm uh, I'm concerned on this front, and uh, I sent you an article about what's going on in New York. Uh, I don't know if you had an opportunity to read it. Uh, I did. I'll talk. Okay, it has to do with the primary that went down several weeks ago uh, in, a, in a congressional district uh, in New York City. Uh, Carolyn Maloney is the incumbent incumbent congresswoman, uh, and uh, she is being challenged uh, by Siraj Patel. And it looks as though she has the votes it needs to win uh, that primary challenge. But here's the issue. Uh, there's a lot of votes, more than ever, because of the pandemic, have come in through the mail. And what they've discovered is that the officials, election board officials in New York City weren't prepared. This gets to the point you just made, uh, Atiba. They weren't prepared for the onslaught of by mail ballots. So they weren't, first of all, they, uh, they never had this many before the pan- as a result of the pandemic. And secondly, a lot of people are out because of the pandemic. So there's fewer employees on uh, to handle. Uh, and then they had this issue like, so what do you do? You have all these uh, ballots. Uh, this is the part that, that I have no answer to. 
is what do you do with a ballot that has no postmark on it? So there's like deficiencies in the post system where you have a deadline that generally it's like, okay, all ballots have to be in by August 3rd or they won't be counted and they have to be postmarked August 3rd. We've heard that a million times. That goes back to our taxes. You have to have a taxes postmark by April 15th. So what if there's no postmark? Do you count it? You, you, you don't even you discard it. You, you could be talking about thousands of, I think there's 1200 ballots that have no postmark in, uh, in New York. So to me, this sends a warning to the Democrats. You got to really get ready for this election. You got to be prepared for the worst because Donald Trump cannot be trusted. So we have to be the top of our game. What's your thoughts? Well, the first thing is when you look at the Trump uh, administration, when you look at his cabinet members, right? He has strategically in every cabinet he has assigned someone who is either against whatever agency that they're running or completely incompetent to it. And then the post office becomes uh, just another in a long line of that. When you look at, uh, what was his name, Governor Perry, that was in charge of the EPA, like of all people to put in charge of the EPA. When you look at Betsy DeVos in charge of education, of all people, a person who was completely against public education. And so now he has one of his cronies running the post office as the postmaster general, who is now yet another person in place to make the post office less efficient. This is all by design as he tries to break down government to say that one, it doesn't work, and two, he's the only person that can fix it as he's breaking it. So I, I got to just, this is an anecdotal little mm-hmm. thing here that I, I got actually from my producer yesterday. He got a, you know, and I really don't subscribe to these things, but it, I was able, he was able to get some personal confirmation about it, but I'll just read it. It says, important warning. My mailman just confirmed they have all officially been told to slow the mail down per Trump's postmaster general. Uh, so, so again, that was their point in this, in this warning. And then my producer, we, we have a mutual friend that graduated high school with us that's been a, a mail courier since we've graduated high school going on 30 years. And he spoke with him about it. And sure enough, he said, I asked Mark if this was legit. And he said, yes, they've gone from having two hours to sort mail now down to 30 minutes. So the, we can see this happening practically, literally. Uh, they, they are all he we, we've I forget who said it. The first person I heard say it, but it is true. Donald Trump is not trying to win this election. He's trying to steal it. And everything that he's doing is in line with that, including the post office. And and that's why it's really important uh, for Democrats not to lose track of this, to get their game together. Uh, Yeah, and it's tough. You're right. Absolutely. From the top. uh, Rick Perry was energy. Uh, Rick Perry was the Department of Energy. Uh, Thank you. I'm sorry. Yeah. And and, um, the the point you make is is an excellent one, though, Atiba, that he appointed people uh, who attempted to sabotage the very entities they were overseeing and to use them for political purposes to uh, uh, give an advantage to themselves. And this will happen uh, in this election. The problem for Trump, the delicate balancing act here to some degree, because Despite all his rhetoric, and you know this as well as I do, Atiba, he's going to be relying on uh, ballots by mail because many of his supporters aren't going to want to go to the uh, uh, the polling booth either. 
You know what I'm saying? And so yes. in many like, like Michigan or Pennsylvania or Florida swing districts, uh, swing states that he needs to win North Carolina, he's going to be depending on it. So you get what I'm saying? Uh, if he goes too far in this direction, it could actually hurt him as well. Well, again, this goes back to the beauty of COVID, those deaths. No matter you can Trump supporters are only so dumb. Please believe that Herman Cain's death, while Republicans are trying to dismiss it, and, and the, while they while they may not admit it out loud, trust me, it resonated. Yeah. It sent chills even through his party, because they know if if Herman Cain, who who is ultra rich, had the access to the best health care, if he can get it and die. Guess what? So can you. And so, again, you're right. A lot of his supporters, while they talk that mess, will will be mailing in their ballot. So that's that's the amazing thing about Trump is that even when you look at especially his response to coronavirus, everything that he's done to preserve himself actually hurts him. And it's so and it's so easy to figure out. I'm, I'm just I'm just stunned at some of the decisions that he's made. But again, is it is it hard to believe that the president would say slow the mail down when we literally saw him say at a rally slow the testing down? Yeah, it's it's, it's it, it it's certainly possible. It's certainly in the realm of possibility. Good point. All right, we're going to close with this. We don't have nearly enough time left uh, to to give this subject the attention it deserves, so that's just my way of saying I'm going to bring you back. Uh, open sure. schools versus open sports, and you were the one who introduced this uh, uh, parallel to me when we were talking today. Uh, the, the stories in all the newspapers in Chicago were about the protests Chicago teachers unions have uh, against the Board of Education demanding that schools not be open in September that's still too dangerous for teachers. Uh, and at the same time, a sports junkie that I am, I'm uh, watching basketball and baseball and hockey is also kicked in. I'm not a hockey fan, so I'm not yeah. paying any attention, but it's also kicked in. And just Atiba, the amount of attention uh, lavished on each of these athletes, baseball, basketball, uh, and hockey to make sure that too many of them don't get sick. They're taking the virus very seriously. I don't even know how they could even go pro, pro come even like within inches of that in terms of protecting the schools. So talk open schools. Should we open the schools or should we keep them closed? Yeah. So if you just Google the phrase baseball coronavirus, these are some of the headlines that come up. St. Louis Cardinals, Detroit Tigers postponed due to coronavirus outbreak. Uh, the Marlins returned from coronavirus with 16 new players because 16 other players had coronavirus. <laughs> um, you know, again, and they just go on and on about that, uh, especially with the St. Louis Cardinals, because they just had 19, uh, let me see, 13 St. Louis Cardinals players and staff tested positive for COVID-19. That was 23 hours ago, according to CNN. So, again, we're, we're seeing a baseball season start that just this past weekend, the commissioner of baseball said the season could be over Monday and over yesterday if the results came back a certain way. So this is the most tenuous thing we've ever seen. Baseball doesn't have nearly the the contact that football has. So if they're having this level of problem with baseball, how are they, how are they ever imagining a, a football season actually happening? And the only reason basketball has gotten as far as it has is because they're, they've been able to centralize everything into one stadium, one city, and one bubble. 
Mm. But but football and baseball, those players are still flying in from other cities and flying back out and going to wherever it is they need to go. Uh, so again, I just I just don't. We're not dealing with realism here as it as it pertains to schools. Again, th- there are so many levels, and it comes back to leadership. We should all be able to look at a central platform, a central standard CDC, and understand what it would take to open a school, what the, what the positivity rate needs to be at, uh, what what procedures need to be in place. And school districts' fundings are so all over the place, which is why we need more federal leadership in this. That again, only you know, certain school districts will have means. And- and others won't. And, and and that is one of the most unfair things I've ever seen. So until we can get some type of equity and balance in, in our standards and meeting those standards for each and every school district, then I, I don't think it's I think it's too premature to even talk about it. Well put. I agree with you. Uh, and it, the, the whole debate about schools just exposes all the inequities that exist, even without. You said it. And, you know. you said it. Yep. Uh, we, we rely so much on the property tax to fund our schools. So uh, towns that have a, ba- uh, a deeper base for the t- property tax are already at an advantage over poorer yep. towns. So, uh, yeah. So if you were uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, would you open the schools? Oh, man. I, um, uh, looking at Chicago's positivity, I would I would be inclined. I mean, Chicago, I think, barely makes the cut. I think I would put a, a bigger emphasis on trying to get people to get in line with with a lower positivity level and then having backup, because that's the other thing that someone mentioned, is that if the teachers do get sick, it's, it's not as if there's this reservoir of other teachers yeah. that are willing to come in and start teaching. So we have to be able to protect everyone, especially the teachers. Um, and I don't think that we're there yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And, and I look at baseball, and I'm, I'm a baseball fan, and both of my teams are doing well. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, finally the Cubs and the White Sox heading for that right. World Series, the Subway Series, and we're in the middle of a pandemic, and the season probably won't happen. But the point you made was an excellent one. They started it off. They had all their protocols set, far more protocols and safety uh, nets than the public schools will ever even come close to having. Right. And we're two weeks in. Uh oh, we may have to. No way they're going to be able to do football, uh, Atiba. I, I just cannot see in a million years getting a football season in with this. Yeah. I just think the, the main thing that we have to do, and it all goes back to testing. Um, we still have this huge disparity. You know, the president is getting tested several times a day with results coming back within 30 minutes. And until that's a national standard, I think it's going to be a problem. We still have people waiting seven to 10 days just to get results, which by that time, the, the, honestly, that what's, what is the purpose of the test? So until we can get some, some rapid testing that's accurate and, and we can find out if someone has coronavirus within an hour, you know, I, again, everything that we're talking about is premature. All right, T.B., I'll let you go now. But before I do, uh, tell folks how they can listen uh, to you and David Seaton. Sure. You can hear the Buchanan and Seaton radio show on WVON AM 1690 uh, on Friday nights from 9 until midnight. You can listen on WVON.com, and it's also an iHeartRadio station. Very good. Atiba, stay uh, safe and sound, all right? And Atiba, we got to ask you, too. It's the big week here, apparently. Who do you got for uh, Biden's VP? Uh, I'm, I'm still keeping my fingers crossed for Kamala Harris. I think she does him the most good. Uh, that's who you want. Who do you predict he's going to? Who's your money? You put, go to Vegas uh, prediction. 
I actually don't have one because I, I, I don't know what he's going to do. I just feel like I'm going to be disappointed. So I would I can only say that it probably won't be Kamala Harris. <laughs> you've, been sticking, you've been sticking with Kamala. I can't remember who Seaton's is. I've had this Kamala, conversation. Definitely. He's definitely, from Kamala too? Absolutely. Absolutely. The funny, the, people, you should know this. When you listen to the uh, Buchanan uh, Seaton show, one's a lefty and the other's a centrist. That'd be me. And I'm gonna and, and the lefty is Atiba. Yeah. Uh, and he's like a Bernie Sanders Democrat. Uh, and David is a Joe Biden Democrat. And both of them are my show. Both your friends of the Ben Jarowski show. Uh, and I'm gonna bring uh, David Seaton on to really uh, have my Bill Clinton debate because I am through with Bill Clinton. All right, oh, Atiba. He he would love that because <laughs> he loves Clinton. Right. <laughs> I know he loves Clinton. Uh, <laughs> All right, Atiba, stay safe and sound. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. That's great, Atiba Buchanan, uh, Buchanan Seaton Show on WVOMD. Any updates before we head out the door? Well, first off, we have an update. Joe Biden has weighed in on Atiba's thoughts. Play the radio. Make sure the television, <laughs> the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. All right. Interesting thought. Make sure that. Yeah. Make sure that, D. <laughs> and uh, one update here. Uh, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times. And he's smoking in the boys' room. It's Tommy Two-Joint Shuba. Boy, the yeah. state of Illinois, we're just becoming a bunch of potheads. That's correct. All right. It says here, uh, Illinois dispensary sold a record $61 million in recreational pot products in July. This eclipsed the previous benchmark set in June by more than $13 million. Holy crap. Uh, In the first seven months since recreational cannabis was legalized, the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation have reported over $300 million in total sales. Illinois residents bought up to $44.7 million of the six. $60.9 million worth of pot products sold last month. This is according to the IDF uh, PR. All told, nearly 1.3 million products were sold throughout the states. Uh, Let's see here. July's figures. uh, Trump uh, the previous sales records, you see the word Trump now. It's, you know, you just take it as a, you know, you think it's about the president. <laughs> July's yeah. figures trump the previous sales records set a month earlier when dispensaries sold 994,545 individual items, totaling $47.6 million. Ben, have you went and uh, went to a dispensary and bought anything yet? Still not been to a dispensary, all right? St- I still have not smoked a joint since 1980 or 81. I can't remember. I was already uh, talked to one of the people I talked to about this was uh, Vincent Norman, good friend of the Ben Jarofsky show. We'll be on next week. Uh, we talked already. Uh, we uh, were talking about Tommy Two Joints uh, article. Tommy Shuba, the hardest working reporter in the city of Chicago. And um, man, D, come on. Hmm. People love their cannabis. Apparently. They love it. <laughs> and here's the thing, man. I was. Uh, $60 million, uh, that's just the legal sales. They still got an underground uh, reefer economy in the state. of. They still don't have enough reefer uh, in the state of Illinois to satisfy every demand. And there's still some people, and I'm not naming names. I'm just saying there are some people out there that I know that still buy their weed from. I don't know who you're talking about. I haven't smoked pot in like two weeks, man. Come on. Uh, did I? Was I thinking of you? Yeah, I think you was were. I? I think you were, pal. Uh, I think you man, were. But hey, but if I do buy it again, hey, my guy, 
I am going to you, all right? None of this legal stuff, all right? You and me till the end, buddy. <laughs> Ride or die with the cookie man. Uh, so anyway, yeah, they love their reefer. What a joke that it was uh, ever illegal. And um, yeah, we got to get uh, more uh, dispensaries under control of black entrepreneurs. It's not fair, ladies and gentlemen. It's not fair. Vincent Norman will be on. We'll be talking about that. Eddie Armstrong is coming on. Uh, we're going to do a cannabis conversation uh, this Thursday as well. So, yeah, people love their reefer, D. Uh, $60 million, $61 million in one month. Wow, that's a lot of money. Oh, wait, we got one more update from Joe Biden. Play, play the radio. Make sure the television, <laughs> okay. excuse me, make sure, sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. That was the same thing he said last time. Yeah, but it's so important, D. It's so important to make sure that kids hear words. Got it, D? <laughs> that is true. All right. It's very so true. He's just, you're walking down the street and you see a kid, just start saying words to the kids so the kid can hear the words just they don't even have to make sense okay just talk like donald trump uh, you know talk like joey b uh. (laughs) and hey before we go uh one more time uh happy birthday to our chicago mayor Lori lightfoot come on jay marie ben you too happy birthday to you Come come on now no one barack obama Oh, and, and, and Obama, yeah. Happy birthday. He's 59. 59 years old. 59 One years old. Year. Yeah, uh, 59 years old. Happy birthday <laughs> to me, Barack Obama. Do have Barack Obama saying happy birthday to Lori Lightfoot and Lori Lightfoot saying happy birthday to Barack Obama. Go. All right. I'm not doing the Lori Lightfoot impression. <laughs> all right. I want us to stay uh, a okay. show. Uh, yeah. I'd like to uh, wish a uh, happy birthday to... The Chicago Mayor, Lori Lightfoot. That's it. He's good. Ladies and gentlemen, he's good. All right, that is our show for today. I want to thank Atibu Buchanan uh, and Barack Obama uh, for coming on the show. It is my Barack Obama imitation, which is terrible. Anyway, and also... You said it, not me. You know, it is terrible. I admit it's terrible. For all my ranting and raving about him, how about this one? I want to give a shout out to uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. I love her. She's a great mayor. Yeah. Happy birthday, Mayor. Oh, catch huh? him at the Improv Olympic when it opens back up. Ben Jarofsky. And how about this one? <laughs> Ken Davis, guys. <laughs> Happy birthday, Mr. Mayor. I mean, Mrs. Mayor. Anyway, uh, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Lori Lightfoot. Barack Obama, Atiba Buchanan, Ken Davis, and Joe Biden will all tell you, back home and on, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everyone. Hey, and follow us on social media, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, The Letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Catch part two with Joshua Smizer De Leon. Uh, that's going to be available tonight at 7 o'clock, both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Dog Doggerson, you're on the live stream. What's up, dude? Everybody, thank you for joining us on the live stream chat. We'll see you tomorrow. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. That's correct. That's correct. That's correct.
the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Bullshit. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. 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 